Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sharing the Journey for September. Something new today, I'm here with a couple, Jennifer and Doak, and they are going to be sharing their journey with us today. So um, why don't you guys, whichever one of you wants to start, um, just share a little bit about yourself, yourselves, and uh, we'll go from there. Okay, um, my name is Doak. Uh, Jennifer and I have uh, been married since 2009, and um, that's when our journey started together. We uh, are from Ohio originally. We moved out here two years ago during the pandemic, and, um, and that was a lot of fun. <laughs> and um, but uh, our journey has been it's been up and down, all around. We've been around the country different places living but we've also been in, um, involved with different types of activities together also um, we have a child that's got some special needs and um, her name is Natalia and she's 11 and um, we're just super happy to have her and I'll let Jennifer introduce herself. <laughs> Hi I'm Jen and um, I am the mom to the princess. <laughs> um, <laughs> We adopted Natalia when she was 22 months old, and um, she was just the most beautiful, still is, girl in the world, and she was just so happy and just curious about everything, um, but we noticed that there seemed to be some delays right from the start, um, and so that kind of began us on a journey, not only were we first-time parents of a toddler, but um, we also noticed some things different about this toddler. Um, thankfully, Dope has a background in working with individuals who have disabilities. He's worked professionally and um, voluntarily for most of his life actually with different individuals of all ages. And I've worked in um, actually a couple of children's homes working with children who have mental health and also um, developmental disabilities as well. So with that background, we were a little extra tuned in, <laughs> thankfully, um, to some of Natalia's needs and were able to get involved with a lot of early intervention as we saw things develop. So, and a lot of advocating. Yeah. So, Isn't there always? <laughs> We just really believe that the Lord prepared us long before he brought Natalia into our life um, for her. Yeah. Okay. So the way I usually do this is to ask if, I don't know if you've listened to any, but um, the way I usually do this is to just have you share a little bit about your childhood and your teen years and what prepared, what has shaped you um to be the person that you are today okay mm -hmm. all right <laughs> <laughs> well I'll go ahead and start uh, um I grew up in a two-parent household um I was the oldest of three children so some say I'm spoiled and <laughs> being the oldest and all that but um my parents were Christians at, at least we went to church every weekend and um in a more traditional manner uh i was kind of 
forced to go, even though I didn't really want to be there, but kind of grew up that way. Um, and as I grew into um, my junior high and high school years, I became involved in uh, a lot of sports as I was very um, gifted in sports and pretty good at what I was doing and excelled at the sports. And that became a lot of my life um, during those years. Um, late in, well, later in high school, I ended up taking a different road and going down the road of alcoholism and, and that road. And, um, and that took me down for a lot of years. And I ended up um, not, I went to college after high school, but I didn't finish anything. I ended up going to a factory and working there for 17 years. In the middle of 17 years, um, I went back to church and found God myself and um, became sober and in 2002 and um, from that point on I've been serving the Lord and and living a totally different life and and with that he's put on my heart about helping others um, in addictions but also helping others with um, disabilities and, and just treating them and having them enjoy life like we do so um, that was my journey in a nutshell up until the point that we met. So I'll let Jen describe her childhood. Okay. Uh, I also grew up in Northwest Ohio and my family um, actually owned a small mom and pop motel. So I was in the hospitality industry from the minute I could remember um, checking in guests and we were host home for missionaries and I could operate a switchboard from the time I could reach a switchboard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I grew up dealing with a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds and, and just really having the opportunity to interact with them really um, gave me a passion for people um, who face different challenges and also just for people in general. We just had such an opportunity to serve individuals who were placed at our hotel, um, even due to fires or due to um, different situations, even homelessness. And so from a young age, I was um, exposed to some of that as well. And so that just, again, gave me a real passion for working with people. So I grew up in a Christian home and we, um, Again, we hosted missionaries because we had a motel. Every family event was at our house because we had a room. <laughs> <laughs> and so not everyone can say when they have guests over, here's your key. You can <laughs> 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 so, um, so that was just a, a wonderful experience in so many ways um, for me and for my family to just impact and experience kind of the world around us. and. Um, I went to college, I went to college down in Georgia, and um, I was so enthralled with the wonderful weather in Georgia that was so be much better and more beautiful than Ohio that I ended up skipping a lot of classes to go enjoy the weather. <laughs> mm -hmm. So so college took me a long time to finally graduate, let's put it that mm -hmm. way. So. 
Um, I have a degree. I was a counseling major for most of my um, time in college, counseling, psychology, which again, kind of went along with what my heart and passions were. Um, while in college, I also worked in the field of domestic violence and sexual assault and also worked in um, a lockdown um, center for youth, basically, um, kids who were eight to 18. And that really opened my eyes to a lot of things as far as children with diagnoses, mental health diagnoses, and even disabilities, and just the challenges they face with everyday functioning. Um, and now, even looking back, I understand even more what they were facing and probably what was happening now that I've, I'm a mom. <laughs> of a little one who, who um, you know, who struggles with a lot of the same challenges at times um, and behaviors actually. So right after I graduated from college, I was so excited and I was like, God, give me a mission field. And five weeks later, I was diagnosed with stage three cancer, breast cancer. And I remember sitting with God one day, sharing my heart with him as we sometimes are prone to do. <laughs> and I said, Lord, I don't understand. I asked you for a mission field. And he, I was sitting in a chemo room, looking around the room and he said, I did, <laughs> I did. And I paused and kind of caught my breath for a minute and realized he was absolutely right. God doesn't always, um, Put us in the mission fields that in our minds we uh, imagine or that we envision but when we surrender to him and we live our lives seeking him he positions us in the place that that he can use us and um, I was able to take that opportunity to it was hard don't get me wrong cancer and cancer treatment is is beyond hard um, so it, it wasn't a walk in the park, but I was able to have a different take on it and a different angle. And I really experienced the Lord in a, in a totally different way than I ever had in my entire life. And um, that was very special. And in the midst of um, going through cancer treatments, I was actually in Washington State out here where we are now, in fact, um, the Lord had opened the doors for me to do my treatments out here. Um, my parents were still in Northwest Ohio, and they went to church with Doak. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, they asked for prayer for me, and they didn't show a picture or anything, but God laid it on Doak's heart and several others to send me a card and just start encouraging me. And um I started writing back <laughs> and Doak kind of caught my attention it was like who's this guy sending me a message and I set a boundary really quickly and said I'm kind of in the middle of something um but I'm always open to having friends and he really respected that and now I just tell people that he really liked bald women <laughs> <laughs> that he was just strange because <laughs> that's more fun <laughs> but 
in the midst of that, God really grew a friendship that I, I didn't know as I was going through treatment. I wasn't going to know until they could actually open me up six months later for surgery, uh, the extent of the cancer. So I didn't know for six months if I was, if it was completely through my body or not. So it was a real exercise in facing my own mortality, really. Um, and so it, it was a real exercise in taking one day at a time, but this friend that I had developed in Joe, um, he was with me every step and he wasn't going anywhere and um, walked with me through this. And it was just really, really special. And um, after I finished my treatments, I moved back to Ohio because I still had some extensive surgeries to go through. And Joe was there also and now we were together in the midst of it so again we kind of joke about our dating it was totally how I always envisioned dating my future husband me laying on the couch <laughs> in my pajamas <laughs> flannel pajamas bald with my mom and dad sitting in the chairs next to us <laughs> TV together <laughs> so <laughs> we have a unique story but God's fingerprints were all over it. In oh, totally. That's amazing. Wow. In how he connected us. And after my surgery, um, they felt that they got all of the cancer and that I was cancer free. And at that point, our friendship had grown more and it was kind of like, hey, I'm not going to die. Do you want to take this a little further? <laughs> <laughs> Again, really romantic, I know. <laughs> at Cracker Barrel. Yeah, at Cracker Barrel. Um, but anyways, and so our friendship continued to grow. And as they say, the rest is kind of history because clearly we got married. And um, not long after we were married, um, what we didn't realize, but I while going through treatments was put into temporary menopause to hopefully protect my eggs. Mm. However, my body never fully came out of menopause. Um, and so the doctors recommended really like two months after we were married that I have a complete hysterectomy. And so Doke and I knew and knew from, God has always told me that he would give me the children that I was to have. And so I just stepped in faith and stood on that promise that, okay, Lord, um, clearly they're not going to come through me, but I am standing on your promise to me from long ago that you will give me the children that I'm supposed to have. And um, so I had the complete hysterectomy and we walked through that. And um, I believe it was a year or two later we decided to walk down the path of adoption and we had told nobody we had gone to a meeting and just gotten the paperwork um, to begin the process of being home studied again had shared with no one and out of the blue i get a an email from a friend of mine i hadn't talked to in a couple of years actually and she has adopted and she said and while we're on the topic of adoption have you ever considered adoption because I have a young lady who's in a situation and long story short um, that 
began a journey pursuing adoption and watching literally the hand of God move for us on our behalf. And we had the opportunity and the privilege of adopting Natalia. So once again, miraculously, God just moved on our behalf. And so as I shared kind of at the beginning, we noticed a little bit with Natalia was different and a little bit of delays. And we kind of had a hunch, maybe it was because of um, her previous time before she came into our family. Um, but over time, we started to realize that there was a little more going on. So I'm going to toss the ball back to Joe and let him share a little bit. <laughs> so we ended up um, adopting Natalia, of course, and um, we really had to um, surround ourselves with um, some support from the local church that we were at just to understand a little bit more about adoptive kids because we couldn't tell if these behaviors were because of an adoption or if there's more to it as, as it was becoming more apparent that some of the milestones that children have, um, she wasn't quite getting there yet. And so, um, but she was a wonderful child and she, and she, she was a great to play with and all that, but we could tell with other kids her age there was some delay. So um, we were good. Jen was really good about advocating and and moving um, forward with trying to figure out what was going on with with her. Um, so at that point we were living in Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia, and um, we decided when she was four, Natalia was four, to move back to Ohio to be around um, our families. Both of our families were up there and um, to see if we could get more stability from Natalia and, and just more support, it, it felt like. So um, that's where we went. Um, with, with the move to Ohio, we were... Um, <clears throat> Hold on a second. I <laughs> got clear my throat. <laughs> I guess I gotta take a drink. <clears throat> so when we moved to Ohio, we were hoping to um, grow together with our family and establish but more relationships than what we had in Georgia. Mm -hmm. And um, and that been <clears throat> that eventually did come in a little bit, but with that, we also continued to pursue advocating for her and mm -hmm. uh, found some diagnoses at an early age for her. Um, the first one that she was diagnosed with was a static encephalopathy. It's a big word. It means permanent brain damage um, caused by what can be alcohol or drugs in the system, lead, um, just a lot of different varieties of things that could cause that. They would call it fetal alcohol syndrome if they knew for sure that the mother was um, drinking during pregnancy, but no one had that information for her to get it, the fetal alcohol diagnosis. So they, the static encephalopathy is the 
diagnosis we got for her and it started to make sense when we started to research more what that was. So we moved in a way to um, help her um, through therapies and, and things as we were moving, as she was getting older and closer to school age. Mm -hmm. um, so we had put her in preschool when we moved to Ohio. And that's kind of where it started to become a little clearer that there was more going on. Mm -hmm. um, as I would get called to the school quite frequently, um, our, our princess at home was not, um, she really struggled um, to be in a traditional classroom of any sort. And in hindsight, we realized and recognized that it was scary <laughs> and there was a lot of sensory things with the crowd, sure. et cetera. Um, but what looked like oppositional defiance um, at times and what the school kind of were indicating they believed was happening was in fact autism. Mm. But it actually took us five years to get an autism diagnosis, interestingly. And as we're learning, actually, girls are diagnosed so much less than boys. Boys are diagnosed four times more often than girls. And girls are often diagnosed with autism at a later age. And I actually, we suspected autism and had her tested twice, twice while we were in Ohio. And it's kind of like taking your car to the garage sometimes. <laughs> It's doing this. <laughs> it's doing this, but when you get it to where they can evaluate it, it doesn't do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so <laughs> the doctors were kind of like, we don't really see it. And we were like, but we do. And so, but we left it at that because interestingly, fetal alcohol syndrome and static encephalopathy can also overlap with their symptoms. And mm -hmm. so it's very interesting and, and you have to really be paying attention to try to get a correct diagnosis for your child. And mm -hmm. so we were like, okay, we're dealing with fetal alcohol syndrome. We also, <laughs> as we were having her tested, realized she had um, some apnea and as they tested that she was diagnosed <laughs> through those tests it came out that she also had epilepsy so mm. she doesn't have overt seizures but she has epileptic spikes in her spikes in her brain waves and dips mm -hmm. and those kind of ebb and flow and so we still are are learning to this day <laughs> when it's ebbing <laughs> and when it's flowing mm -hmm. um and so when we moved to Washington about two and a half years ago, um, we'd always kind of had a desire to move out here and it's just beautiful. We have friends out here and Doke and I are kind of, pe we're people of faith for sure, but we're also people who were like, let's live lives that are, that are why not? Let's live why not lives, you know? If you can dream it, you can do it. And if there's an opportunity, why not? <laughs> mm -hmm. 
And so the opportunity to get a job and move out here came about. So Dope, Dope got a job here in Washington and we moved here. And within, um, within a few months of us moving, Natalia began to have some mental health challenges as well became very clear to us. And through a series of events, um, she needed to see and be evaluated by a neuropsychiatrist. And so, and as she was assessed, we filled out all the paperwork and didn't mention anything about autism. She was assessed for two days, pretty extensively actually. And when the lady called me in, when the doctor called me in to give me the results, she said she presents as autistic and not just level one, but level two in need of significant supports mm -hmm. <laughs> and significant therapies. And I looked at her and I teared up and I said, this is going to sound crazy probably, but thank you. Yes. I've advocated for my daughter for five years and we've suspected this all along. And so you have just finally seen what we see and you've opened, this will open the doors for her to get the help that she needs. And, you know, as parents, we don't celebrate diagnoses. <laughs> Most parents don't, but until you know what, it, what you're fighting and have a name for it, you don't know what you can do for it. Yeah. And so we um, got on the wait lists because nothing is fast in a post-COVID world. <laughs> nothing was fast before COVID, but post-COVID. Now it's really slow. <laughs> now yeah. it is insanely slow. We got on the wait lists and Natalia was set up to do some ABA therapies. And this past uh, November or December, God moved again because the place that we were getting ready to start ABA therapy in gave me a call and said, you know, we're starting a school here and there's a long wait list. And I had not even applied. They said a position has opened and we've been re reading Natalia's notes and she would be a perfect fit for that spot. Oh, wow. Okay, we're going to have to end right there because I'm about to get, I have a 40-minute uh, oh, meeting okay. time, so we're about to get bumped. So we okay. can either, I can either 